Psalm 42. Turn with me there in your Bibles or your uh, pew Bibles or your telephone or whatever, or you can just listen along. It's a fairly long psalm, so we'll get through it. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they continually say to me, where is your God? When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept a pilgrim feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill Mazar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me, a praise to the God of my life. I will say to my God, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him the help of my countenance and my God. That far with the reading of God's word this morning. Let's bow for a quick word of prayer. Father, your word is alive and powerful. And it's able to penetrate to the very depths of our our being. And so, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, grant to us the special help of your Holy Spirit this morning in just allowing him to take his word, your word, and to apply it to our lives. Uh, Look into those dark places. Look into those areas where we like to keep things hid. Help us, Father, to uh, just uh, gain wisdom, gain instruction from your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Proverbs 17.22 tells us that a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. In the job that I've had in the last uh, year and a little bit, I spend a lot of time in my truck uh, driving around the countryside, and I have lots of time where I'm by myself, so I've got a, I got a serious radio subscription, and I listen, to, uh, I listen to family talk radio most of the time. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's a Christian radio station, and some good preachers on there and some that I really identify with, so I like to listen to them. And uh, sometimes I listen to music, and sometimes, when I really need it, I will turn to one or the two of the comedy channels that are on there that are, that are the ones that are, are decent. You know, there's some that are, uh, I wouldn't recommend, but there's one or two that are okay. And it's an interesting phenomenon as I, as I listen to these men and women 
do their comedy routines, how often it begins to be evident that many of them struggle with depression. And it almost seems like at times as I listen, that, oh, here's another one. This, it almost seems like a qualification for the job as a stand-up comic. Are you depressed? Okay, that's, your first, that's the first thing they ask in the job interview. And it becomes obvious that as you listen that a lot of what they're doing is what we would call self-medication. They joke about their condition. And the other amazing thing about it is that the humor seems to connect with the people, with a large segment of their audience, or else it's just a laugh track. But I don't think it is, you can tell. And, and, and sometimes, you know, as you listen, you identify and you just gotta laugh because we know what they're talking about. We feel what they're talking about. And if you know, if you didn't laugh, well, maybe you just might cry. Laughter is a good medicine. A merry heart is a good medicine. Many of you, uh, especially some of the older ones, remember a comic by the name of Robin Williams. Uh, he, was a, he was amazing. He was a, a comedic genius. Just the things that he could come up with. And he entertained millions and millions of people around the world for, for many years. And he made us all laugh. I remember years ago when we were still in height. They came out with that movie, Aladdin, and he was the genie in the lamp. And uh, we didn't go very seldom to a movie. Number one, we were, we were the pastor in Heights, so you didn't want to go to a movie. And number two, we didn't have any money, so, so uh, but we went. And I'll tell you, it was so funny. He was hilarious. And it came out later that they don't even, you know, they write a script, but he didn't, he didn't stick to the script. Everything, um, so much of what he did was ad-lib. It was off the cuff, and it was completely hilarious. Now, it wasn't that many years ago we woke up one day to the news that uh, he had taken his own life. And it began to come out that he had struggled with behind the public persona that we saw and we know that he battled with addictions to alcohol and to drugs. And he struggled with severe depression. And you know, as I thought about it a little bit and had watched him, at times he was just off the map, over the top. And it was almost like he was desperate to just be funny. Now, comedians aren't the only people who struggle. Many, uh, many well-known preachers and Christian leaders down through the years have struggled with great depression. I don't know if you know that or not. Uh, Martin Luther, Protestant reformer, he struggled with times described as dark gloom. Spiritual and anxiety were familiar nemesis in his life. And his depression, he said, was always marked by the same feature, a feeling of aloneness. He was very lonely and a sense that God was singling him out for his suffering. Charles Spurgeon, probably the most effective British preacher, uh, preacher of his generation, he, he was immobilized that for weeks at a time with a great deep depression. It was a lifelong battle. And he understood that it, depression isn't always logical and its cause is not always clear. 
At times, he couldn't even preach. He would have to take two or three weeks off and then come back and speak for one week, and then he'd have to take two or three weeks off again. And you have heard a number of the guys in this series of the Psalms quote Charles Spurgeon. He wrote a three-volume commentary on the book of Psalms that I still have down in my basement, and I got it out and blew the dust off it a little bit to refer to, uh, to some of the things here. It's still used today. And I suspect that he spent many, many, many hours in the Psalms. And maybe I think some of it was to help him deal with his own struggles. I mentioned the name J.B. Phillips. Some of you might know it. Doesn't matter. He sank into a deep depression after completing his popular paraphrase of the New Testament. Began to come out that his father was very critical of him as he was a young man, and it turned him into a perfectionist. And uh, he said, I can with difficulty endure the days, but I frankly dread the nights. The second half of almost every night is shot through with such mental fear and anxiety and horror that I frequently have to wake myself up in order to restore some sense of balance. Martin Lloyd-Jones. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He was a favorite of mine, a, a tremendous Bible expositor. Struggled again for weeks at a time. And he preached a, a series of sermons entitled Spiritual Depression. He was in England after Second World War and he recognized the needs of the people and so he developed a series of sermons that later turned into a book and it was based on our text that we read today. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Interestingly, he, he actually pastored the same church as, as Spurgeon. And so, you know, uh, neuroscience and psychology offer many theories, but ultimately it's not a, a simply medical issue or a mental problem. At times it's a being human problem. And there are medical things and stuff that do contribute to depression. But for many, I think, the illness has a significant spiritual aspect to it. There's biblical examples. Elijah in uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, I think, is probably the well-known one. You, many of you probably know his situation. Jonah, how depressing to be in the belly of a fish for three days, can you imagine? And I think that was a picture of depression. As you start to look at the original words and compare it to other scriptures, there's a lot of, you know, the deep unto deep <laughs> was something that Jonah uh, dealt with. Of course, Job in the whole book of Job. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, and of course he wrote the book of Lamentations. And then there's David, the son of Jesse, the poet king of Israel, and other contributors to the hymn book of Israel knew about and wrote about this malaise. And I believe with most of David actually wrote this psalm. Uh, it says the, the sons of, of Korah, but uh, they were probably with him as he fleed Israel, or as he fleed Jerusalem, when uh, his son tried to, his son Absalom tried to usurp the kingdom. He revolted against them. You can read about that in Second Samuel as well. And so the psalm that is written here is described as a maskil. And that word is best defined as 
to make wise or uh, to instruct. And the heading implies that it was a psalm that was used as a lament in the public worship of, of the people. And so the psalms, we know, were songs. They were poems. They were and are the, the Hebrew Psalter, the Hebrew uh, songbook. And they were written to awaken, to express, and to shape the life of God's people. They exist because God's people are made with emotions, not just logical thoughts. Our, our emotions are massively important. And to deny that would mean that we have little understanding of these psalms or of human nature, for that matter. I'm going to take a chance here this morning and say there's probably some of you men especially who have, uh, know what it's like to have sort of a discussion with your wife. And uh, she has an issue with something, someone, maybe you. And you're so wise, you're, you want to solve that problem, and we want to give a logical solution to solve that issue. And they let you know very clearly that they don't want your answers. They just want to tell you what? What? How they feel. They know the answer. They just want you to hear, to understand how it makes them feel. The Psalms are packed full with emotion, and some of it is pretty rough stuff. And the author is just telling God how he feels. So these Psalms are for instruction. They intend to shape what the mind thinks, and they intend to to shape what the heart feels. They are a good place for the depressed person to spend some time and some prayer. When we immerse ourselves in them, we are thinking and we are feeling with God. So in case, if you haven't picked up on it, the subject of this psalm is what we could describe as spiritual depression. Isn't that a light, nice summer topic? You know, when you preach a sermon, you want it to click, to click. You want it to connect with the hearers. I have to say, it doesn't take much of a sermon to hit me somewhere. But I honestly wish that, I could, uh, that you all could say, wow, this morning. I have no idea what he is talking about. I've never experienced any of that stuff. I have to confess that I know more about it than I wished I knew. And uh, maybe that's why I got assigned this sermon this morning. Because I certainly didn't choose it. And so I'm not here to, to uh, offer you some pat answers or just tell you to get over yourself. But if you can identify, just hopefully, some instruction and encouragement from this math skill, it's for our instruction. Earlier, some speakers mentioned parallelism in Jewish uh, wisdom literature. That's just the rewording of a phrase or uh, uh, a repeat of a phrase for emphasis. And you see that in particular verses in this psalm, in verses 1 and 2. And you see it in the paragraphs. There's two paragraphs, verses 1 to 5 and verses 6 to 11. We see a parallel of words, phrases, and themes 
recurring themes woven throughout the psalm, sometimes in no particular order and other times in order. There's so much here, we can only scratch the surface this morning, but I just want to look at three of those themes that uh, are in here. And the first one is called a desperate desire. Verses 1 and 2 particularly. Some of you may remember the songs that we used to sing. It was a nice chorus reflecting a hunger for God. I tried to talk my wife into singing it from the sound booth this morning because she sings a lot better than me, but she wouldn't do it. But you know the song. As the deer pants for the water, so my heart longs after you. Nice song. But I think it misses the point of where it comes to us in the Psalms here. It doesn't fully depict the situation. Right off this picture, something more. You know, these were not the words of some, we talked, we recognized our, our high school graduates this morning. These were not the words of a passionate young person on fire for God, excited on a spiritual high to get out there ready to change the world. No. This was the desperate sob of a broken-hearted man crying from a place of deep hurt. And he's not looking for information about God, some platitudes about God, some theology, as important as that is. He needs something more. He needs an experience with the living God. He needs to meet with God. There's a world of difference when you're in the midst of deep personal struggle and sorrow. He had a desperate, desperate desire for God himself. What he's longing for is the presence of God to fill his life. The sense of his presence in every fiber of his being, and yes, in his emotional state. Scripture tells us over and over again that the only basis for true courage, true contentment, and confidence in all the mess of life is his presence. He was a soul desperate for relief. He was a soul desperate for some deliverance. You know, it never ceases to amaze me how fickle my own heart is. And as we look at the world around us in which we live, we see people maybe just like us trying to satisfy this spiritual thirst by all kinds of methods. Emotional experiences, physical experiences, power, fame, wealth, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the old saying goes. And they and we think sometimes Whatever it is that we're trying to get, if I, can, if I can just attain that thing, if I can just achieve it, if I can just find that perfect mate, that perfect truck, that perfect job, it's going to satisfy me. I'm going to have it. And then over and over and over again, we hear the testimonies of those people who seemingly have all that the world seems to offer, and they're left wanting maybe depressed, how empty it all is. Time and time, when they get there, they find that it's empty. It's a wise person who comes to a place where he gets that 
and understands that God has uh, planted that thirst in us and it's designed so that, that only God can satisfy the longing. And so David comes again to that place, to the living God. He knew this truth. The Psalms, if the Psalms say anything, they say that as you look at them. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. A.W. Tozer wrote a lot about this sort of stuff, and he said, the man who has God for his treasure has all things in one. And so as I mentioned earlier, going through, getting over a depressed state, it's not an easy thing. Yet, I would suggest to you this morning that just maybe this desperate desire might be the foundation for working through the next theme that I'm going to speak to you about this morning. Gets a little dark now. A desperate desire, now a dark depression. You know, I never was very good in school. Nobody's ever accused me of being a brain surgeon or anything like that. That was for various reasons. Some of them not far from our subject today. For sure, I was terrible in math. I could not handle it. You know, addition, subtraction, multiplication, division. Not bad. But when you started to get to the real tough stuff, uh, like fractions, well, then it all started to come apart. Forget all that advanced stuff. I talked to my grandson, Dane, about some of the math he takes, and I can hardly pronounce the words, much less grasp the concepts. Math, so they tell me, is all very logical. It has rules. Two plus two equals four. It always has. It always will. It's logical. There's rules. So here's how my mind thinks. When you cross that over, we have comedians that are depressed. I've talked to you about preachers who are depressed. The rule of, of uh, logic obviously tells us that if you are a preacher and you have a sense of humor, what? Well, you're someone who's probably depressed. It's logical. Depression often is anything but logical. And David here was in the slew of despond. He's running for his life. He's trudging through Jerusalem and its suburbs, and the taunts are there. And I'm sure rocks are throw, being throw at him, thrown at him. Refuge is being thrown at him. His enemies are mocking him. They seek his life. Where is your God now? His soul is cast down three times, verse 5, verse 7, verse 11. He's in turmoil, verse 5. He's in tears, verse 7. He's mourning, verse 9. He feels sick to his bones, verse 10. He was brokenhearted. Why? Well, the text gives us some insight. And one of the reasons was, the main reason was, his worship experience had been taken away from him. You see, to the Jews, the temple worship was everything. It was the center of their life. It was where they connected with God. It's a pretty contemporary thing, really, when we, when we think about all that we've been through in the last two or three years. 
And uh, I don't want to get into this or anything, but we all know that, that COVID was really a pandemic of fear and depression and loneliness and anxiety caused by our isolation, caused by us being cut off. Way more than the flu, as bad as that was. And we all know and perhaps felt deeply the struggle many of us had during those days when we couldn't gather together with other believers. So that was his issue. And we've been through that as well. But there's many other issues that cut us off from our relationship with God. Unconfessed sin. Lack of repentance. Just plain neglect of the Word of God. Neglect of prayer. The sin of prayerlessness. Other circumstances in our lives. Too numerous to mention. They all can and do have an effect that can lead to and contribute to spiritual depression. That is the vertical relationship that he was struggling with. The other other reason that the passage really only alludes to, but, but other passages confirm, is that David's despair at this time in his life over Absalom, his son, and you can read about that in 2 Samuel, as I mentioned earlier. He loved his son. This was one of his favorite sons. And that, that horizontal relationship was shattered. Horrible, unspeakable things had happened uh, in that relationship. Maybe some of you experienced the kind of despair and heartache that shatters a close relationship like that. Where there's no chance of reconciliation, no chance of getting this thing back together. I can't imagine anything worse for a parent And as I mentioned, comes the taunts of his enemies, some of which used to be his friends, supposedly, and his allies. How much does that hurt when friends abandon you? Again, we go through that, some of the contemporary things, the division in, in our lives and in our churches and with Christian brothers and sisters especially, uh, and in our families over these last few years. Tremendous hurt. Tremendous struggle. Depression. The voices, you're going to pay now. Where's your God? You are done for. He's, you know, he is, he's not hearing you. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe you need to talk a little bit louder. And so what David is hearing here, maybe, uh, believing, certainly doubting, are these voices. It's wearing him down. It's bringing him into a deep despair. Oh, yeah, these voices. These voices. We all have them. And we've all heard them. And it's, it's so important not to feed those inner voices. There's so much disinformation in what we listen to and look at if we're not discerning. And I'm not even talking about the news. And if you're prone to being uh, negatively affected by this stuff, like I am, it's doubly important. David was down. The voices pushed him further down into an anxiety and a fear and a despair. For us, there's perhaps never been a time when there are so many voices and we need, dis- you know, we need discernment to know how to look at the world and, and who to listen to. And sadly, some of those voices are coming from inside the church as well. We thought they were friends. We thought they were on our side. We thought they viewed the world like we do. 
Not so much earlier, some of the ones taunting him were supposed to be his allies as well. But ultimately, there's one who accuses us, and he has lots of experience, and he has lots of expertise. And he knows just what to say and when to say it. It all started in Eden. Genesis 3.1, he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any of the tree, of any tree in the garden? The original language there sort of gives the impression that he sneered as he said it. And it was all designed to erode trust in God, designed to cast doubt regarding God's love for them. For David, for us, we hear if you re if he really loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. You wouldn't be struggling with this depression. That same voice is the one that beats you down, that taunts you. And oh yeah, let's not give him all of the credit. We have our own voices as well. They create havoc. But ultimately, in whichever voice, they do not come from God. And, you know, I really can't imagine that there are many here who can't identify with some of this. I think of Paul, he had a messenger of Satan. You know, a messenger is, what is, it? What is a messenger if it isn't a voice, a thorn? Sent to buffet and torment. The word used there literally means to take away courage, to discourage. I have a trigger that tells me when I am too anxious, a physical, painful, very painful trigger. A chronic condition that comes back with anxiety. Some general comments before I just get to the third comment or third theme quickly. Depression is a multifaceted thing. And, and again, there was a Gallup poll I just came across it the other day, taken just six months ago, that, that showed that US adults are rating their own mental health the lowest in 20 years. I can't imagine what was happening 20 years ago that was worse. But anyway said that less than a third consider themselves in excellent mental health and nearly a quarter are seeking treatment. A quarter of Americans. So if you do the math, and I know I'm not very good, but that's, that's around 100 million people seeking treatment for depression. Can you fathom that? Depression is the number one cause of disability in the world. The depressed person, the anxious, the anxious person, and they go together so often, lives in an altered, an altered uh, reality. Life loses its luster. You lose your interest in everything. Life loses its color. It all turns to a deep, dark gray. Some people are more prone than others to depression by temperament. Introverts like me, maybe. Uh, it occurs, they tell me, twice as often in women as it does in men. The thought comes to me that maybe they're just more honest than most men. Certainly more in touch emotionally, and I mean that in a, in a good way. More relational, more prone to getting hurt. And then, of course, the major one, women have to deal with men. 
It occurs uh, more often in higher socioeconomic groups. And yet I struggle. What's up with that? Can't figure that one out. There's the old saying, I'd rather be rich and unhappy than poor and unhappy. Depression can be a letdown after a huge high. It is what you feel after a big argument with someone close to you. It can be part of grief, especially if it's not handled well. I've seen that in people's lives. Depression is what happens when anger is turned inward. When we are constantly angry at others, ourselves. People who have anger issues are in most cases people who struggle from depression. Perfectionism puts you on a treadmill that leads to depression. Depression and fatigue go together. It's usually accompanied by failure, broken dreams, unmet expectations and needs in life. So the big question is, the $100 question, have I depressed you yet? <laughs> well, maybe none of this speaks to you. Maybe it does. If it does, we need to ask the question, what's in it? What is in it that, you, that connects you with the psalmist here this morning? What does the psalm have to say to you and me? And so that's the third term, or the third theme. A deep desire, a, a dark depression, and daily decisions. The only reason I got daily there is because I like alliteration, so daily decisions. This is the positive part. In our society, mood order is often treated with antidepressants, and they have their place, and therapy, and so on. And the internet tells me that there's five main coping methods. Problem-faced therapies, emotion-faced er, therapies, meaning-making, I don't know what that means, social support, and religious coping. So very briefly, I want to just look at the psalmist and what he gives us to deal with this problem. First, I want to go back to the voices. Note again that the voices that taunt and torment him. Uh, time to, you know, you've seen the old, the old uh, movies where the, the Navy SEAL is there trying out so that he can make the SEAL team and, uh, and uh, they taunt him. The, the instructors are taunting him and you can't take it. You know, maybe you, better, maybe you better quit. Go ring that bell. Get out of here. Quit. And just give up. Just quit. And those voices talk to us in life in so many ways. Have you realized yet that maybe, just maybe, some, if not a lot of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. It's a huge difference between listening to yourself and talking to yourself. I don't know if you can identify with us, this, but those thoughts that come to you very early in the morning, and I'm talking like 3, 4 o'clock in the morning, they elevate your anxiety and your fear level. Maybe they wake you from sleep. You haven't originated them. 
They rehash your, fa your failures, your fears, your anxieties. They take you to a dark place. Someone is talking. Maybe yourself is talking to you. What is that all about? His decision was instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he started talking back to himself. Why are you cast down, O oh my soul? Listen to me. I have a thing or two to say to you. And the raw truth is that sometimes we just got to take ourselves in hand, talk to ourselves, preach to ourselves, question ourselves, investigate yourself. What exactly, why exactly are you cast on? What is going on here? It's going to take some effort. But the psalmist comes to the conclusion, hope in God. And it's always a good thing when you're going to preach to yourself to use the Bible. It needs to come from the Bible. It needs to be biblically, biblically, biblically based. Excuse me. Romans 15 verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Just like this mascal, written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? We might have hope. So did you know that when we meditate on Scripture, and I'm, I, I don't mean just a quick open the daily bread, read it, zip off to work or whatever, not that that's wrong or anything, but when we start to meditate on Scripture, when we start to really let it get into our lives and into our hearts, it begins to do something. It begins to quicken our minds. It, it comes to life for us. And it starts to speak into our lives. And it starts to speak into our problems. That's called illumination. That's a theological word. The light bulb comes on. And when that happens, it begins to elevate us. It's a mood elevator. Like no other. Better than medication for this sort of depression, not, not that those things are bad. can help, don't get me wrong. It's a three-step three process. Meditation, illumination, elevation. That happens, and it starts to produce hope. Hope in God. Who God is what he is, what he has done, and what he has promised he will do. It's such an important decision to trust God when we are down. Scripture like this can help us do that. You know, I have to admit, I struggle with this trust, and there have been times in my life when I had all but given up hope that God would come through. Maybe he just doesn't love me. Maybe I've just pushed him too far this time. Maybe he's done with me. He, how could he? How, how could he? Just look at me. Look at the mess we're in. Look at the mess I've got these people in. Time seemingly with no end. No answer. No hope. I just messed up too bad this time. But I heard something a while ago. 
And it's something that I am trying and beginning, hopefully, to grasp and understand in my life. And it's this. If you forget everything else this morning, remember this. It is impossible if you are a believer in God, if you're a believer, to lose your hope. It's impossible. It just can't happen. There's a good reason for that. It's because the hope that we have is not contingent on our own effort. It's all God. It's everything. It's the sure and the certain hope that comes through us through the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot lose that. You cannot lose that. What you can lose is your perspective. We look at situations. We look at circumstances. We look at problems. We look at our feelings. We have emotions. We listen to the voices. We are prone to do that. And when we do, we lose our perspective. And when we lose our perspective, it means that we have forgotten who's in control. We have forgotten that we have a sovereign God and we can place all our hope and all our trust in Him. Now to tell you, it's a decision I have to come back to time and time and time again. Maybe you do too. We hope in a God that is faithful. That's His nature. Even when we can't see a way, He can make a way. In verse 4 he says, these things I remember. He rehashes God's faithfulness in his past. The time that God came through, I could tell you so many times in my life, the life of my wife and myself over the years, where we've seen God come through in some amazing ways. Hope in God. Last little thing, David gives God praise. Verse 5, hope in God, for I shall again praise him. He repeats it in verse 11, it's that repetition. Verse 8, by night his song is with me. In Psalm 22, verse 3, David tells us that God inhabits the praise of his people. That means so much, there's so much you could pack into that. But for now, it simply means that as you praise him in all of life's circumstances, that somehow, and I can't explain it, and it's probably not logical, he begins to change things. He begins to bring the victory in your lives. He begins to bring the deliverance in your situation. And it's going to help you gain your perspective back. So just a few words here in conclusion. Isaiah 43, verses 1 to 3. But now saith the Lord, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the fires, or the, through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not get burnt, and the flames shall not consume you. In this verse, I talked about the parallelism. 
And as you look at it, when you come to the end, some ways you're right back at the beginning. And it's not wrong to want relief and to pray for it. That's just normal. But when we think and feel with God, we learn to love God more. And maybe, just maybe, there are things to be learned. Some growth only possible in the dark times. Sometimes it's not getting over it right away. Sometimes it's getting through it with him. Hoping God, for I shall yet again praise him, my salvation and my God.